Well, greetings, greetings, greetings. My name's David Vaughn. Welcome to Thursday night service. Those of you watching online, welcome. Those of you who are watching on screens, welcome. Welcome back for another message called High Stakes Christianity. And we have been discussing stuff that you really don't want to gamble your life on, your life here on earth or your life in eternity. And we have been using the little book of Jude to address fake Christians, fake Christianity, fake churches, and today we want to talk about fake leaders. How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you have read the book of Jude? Could I say, now you're in church now, don't be lying. I hope you have. It's a short book. And falsehood is really important to expose because it can so easily worm its way into a person's life, a leader's life, a church's life, and ultimately destroy it. God is not a God of fakeness in his greatness. And so he talks through Jude to us today, definitely to those people, exposing why it's so bad to be fake. Now this week, I ran across a perfect example of fakeness from China, okay? It's a news story. It made me laugh. Check this out. A zoo in eastern China was apparently trying to pull a fast one on its visitors by switching a lion with an entirely different animal. Take a look at what was supposed to be an African lion, but don't be fooled, it's actually a dog. A Tibetan mastiff to be exact, in the zoo's lion exhibit instead. The dog has a fluffy mane and looks a little bit like a lion, but its true identity was quickly discovered when guests noticed it barking. Here's why the zoo did it. The real lion was placed into a breeding facility, so employees put the dog in its place thinking guests would be disappointed if there wasn't an animal at the exhibit. Although many people are laughing at the switch, others are reportedly unhappy about paying for something they didn't get. One woman who paid less than $3 for admission still thinks the whole thing is unfair. The zoo is absolutely cheating us. To use a dog to impersonate a lion is definitely an insult to tourists. That woman, along with other upset guests, might just be in luck. A spokesman for the zoo told reporters they can get their money back because of the inconvenience. In the wake of the discovery, the zoo says it will also replace labels on exhibits to accurately reflect the animals inside, just to avoid something like this from happening again. The zoo allegedly has other animals that aren't the real deal. Visitors reported another dog inside a wolf cage, as well as a fox posing as a leopard. The zoo denies those claims. For Newsy, I'm Candace Aviles. That, you cannot make that stuff up. The lion was exposed because it barked? Come on. See, eventually for all of us, whether you're in China, the U.S., or in Israel in early times that the book of Jude was written to, the truth always comes out, especially if you're a public leader. And this guy named Jude that we are reading his book on, uh, his other name was Judas, but he goes by Jude. He calls out fakeness in no uncertain terms. Why? Because the church has to be healthy. I'm not talking about us being perfect. If you have to be perfect up here, y'all got to get a new preacher, okay? Bald or not, you got to get another guy. It's, I'm not talking about perfection, but we have to be healthy in our teaching, healthy in our doctrine, because there's no room for spiritual posers or spiritual barking. So I hope you've been reading this little book, discussing it with someone. Remember, for additional resources, you can text Jude, the word Jude, to 513-466-1424. Get connected to some other resources. 
Could I just say I was here last week to hear John Tezovich? Did you like that guy, Tezovich? He was unbelievable. Oh my gosh. He was here, he shared an awesome story. I just thought he captured what we want our voice from Jude to be. And tonight, today, I wanna focus on leading a high stakes church. And I just tell you right now in advance, we got a lot lot of ground to cover. I'm gonna cover everything you always wanna know about the Bible in like 25 minutes, okay? So strap on your seatbelt. Some of you have been emailing questions about the stuff I'm gonna cover tonight, right fast. Some of you don't think of yourself here as a leader tonight, so you say, okay, I can just check out, because he's talking about high stakes leadership. But everybody here, let me repeat it, Everybody here is a leader because everybody here has influence over something or someone. The true essence of leadership is influence. So if you're an influencer, you're a leader. Here's a question for you. Why is, I had you talking about influence and leadership. Tell me this, why is an authentic truth-based leader so important? Why are we like dedicating a whole message this week to this subject? Here's the answer because you are greatly affected by the person that leads you or feeds you. Would you not agree? You are affected either positively or negatively by that person. (laughs) I saw a newspaper article, I think we could put up the headline for you. This is how you're affected by a leader. 74 year old man got his whole church high on weed cookies. Check out this headline. The article said, what do you get out of church? Fellowship, hope, maybe a nice buzz off a weed cookie. Last year, congregational members at St. John's Apostle Catholic Church in Bloomington indulged in some special cookies. Apparently, the case ranges from ages 12 to 70, where many said the cookies tasted unusually salty. A 74-year-old leader or member identified only as Mr. Jones is now accused of lacing the cookies with THC. Brings a whole new meaning to high stakes. That's all I'm saying right now. You are affected positively or negatively by the leader or leaders in a local church. That's why I'm not perfect, but I solicit your prayers. I so don't want to mess up what God's doing. I so want to be the best leader for you that I can be because if things get messed up here in me, it's probably going to get messed up somewhere else. And that's true for all of you who are leading or influencing. It's true in every sector of life, but especially in the church. Can I just be candid with you right now? We're seeing right here in Cincinnati what appears again to be a systemic issue with church leaders covering stuff up. And people are damaged by that. People are here visiting our church because of that. So if God has placed you, if you're watching this, if you're here listening to this, if God has placed you in a trusted leadership position of any kind, but especially the church, lead well. Lead in truth. Lead in honesty and purity. Next generations are counting on you and me to get that right. And maybe perhaps someone here watching this might even be thinking about taking up the mantle of vocational leadership as a vocational minister or a missionary. Oh, that would be so great. And we would help you get hooked up to a Bible college. And we got one here in town. It's wonderful. 
But you, you can teach skills, you can teach influence, you can teach somebody how to preach, you can teach somebody how to do all this pastoral stuff, but you can't teach purity and humility of heart. So we, myself included, are dependent on good leaders and teachers to give us the truth. I'm accountable to a group of leaders here called elders, and they have to be synced with God. Back in the early days of Florida, when a lot of Cuban immigrants were coming to Key West to visit and to try to stay in the U.S., they started working in cigar rolling factories, just like they had in Cuba. And I kept seeing pictures through my life of these early cigar rolling factories, and I always noticed people were hard at work, men and women, but I also always noticed this one guy sitting in the middle of the room in those old pictures reading a newspaper. I think we have some pictures of what it looked like. This guy sitting up there, high and elevated, reading a newspaper. He's not working. Well, yeah, he is. But I thought to myself, that's so the job I want. If I'm going to work in a factory, I want to read the paper. I get paid to do it. Why are they doing this? Well, I found out after some research that this guy was called the lector. The lector. He was a man who was charged with reading to factory workers as they sat at their workstations for those long hours. The lector or the reader would broadcast his voice to hundreds of other workers, engaging their mind while their hands performed this mindless, repetitive work. And they read newspapers, they read novels. The lectors of their day in those factories were teachers. And for those immigrants, in the absence of knowing or reading English, the lectors were crucial because they had the huge responsibility of translating the U.S. news in a language that they could understand to people whose life and death desperately needed to hear and know the truth to survive. Those early immigrants trusted the lector or they would be in trouble. In fact, without that, their whole culture would have gone up in smoke. Uh, oh, that was bad. Okay, I know. Well, I don't want what we do here to go up in smoke. I want the channel of communication, just like Jude wanted, the teachers and leaders of the church to have a higher standard than the teachers and the leaders of the world. And could I just say to this? People's expectation of leaders has lowered in our culture. We used to lift them high and up, and they deserved it. That's not the case anymore. There's a general suspect of leaders, even church leaders, and they put them in the category of like used car salesmen or people who are trying to sell you something and rip you off. We must restore the high calling of leadership in a church, and that's what Jude is trying to do. So he rattles off a description in the verses we're gonna to cover today of the spiritual climate in and out of the church and their lectors who claim to be speaking for God, but they were not. And we're gonna see as we go through these uh, verses here uh, that Jude's fondness for triads appears again. Uh, some of you remember a couple weeks ago when I spoke, uh, I talked about how Jude was in love with three. You've been called, loved, and kept. You've been, three different things. Well, you're going to see these tri tri triads, triads appear again. And he first uses three Old Testament examples of judgment on the triad. And listen to the judgment from history that's going to happen for all the people in the Jude church 
and all the people in any church who say they're teachers, but they're really fake teachers. And I don't have time. Time does not permit me to elaborate much on all of them. But let me rattle them off to you, beginning in verse 5. Here's what Jude says. Hey, Jude, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. So the first example he gives of punishment is God's people got delivered out of Egypt. They did. By Moses' mighty hand, God's mighty hand, parted the Red Sea. Man, they got out of Egypt. But before they got to the promised land, some people rebelled. Some people disobeyed, and God judged them and did not allow them to enter the promised land. Example number two. Notice what he says, and this is an odd verse, and I've got a few questions about it. And the angels, second example, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So first example was those in Egypt. Second example is he's describing angels who, for whatever reason, rebelled against God, fell from heaven when Satan rebelled. I personally think this verse is describing here in verse number six, um, when Satan rebelled against God as a created angel and he took his host of angels, other uh, demonic angels with him, and they got cast down to earth. But ultimately, they're going to get cast into chains with judgment. So he says, hey, you who are teaching false doctrine, remember the Egyptians, remember those angels who had a lot of power, yet God judged them. And then notice the last example is in verse 7, third historical example of judgment. In a similar way, this is how serious God is about sin. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. <laughs> Man, this is a serious stuff. I mean, when's the last time you went to church and you heard a sermon on eternal judgment and fire? Man, that's a fast-growing church right there. Dad, if you really want to attract people, you just preach on the judgment coming of eternal fire. So he says, hey, just remember, those of you who are leading people the wrong way, remember the Egyptians, remember the angels, remember Sodom and Gomorrah. And it wasn't one liberal scholar said God judged Sodom and Gomorrah because of their lack of hospitality to strangers who came. No, no, it was rank sexual immorality. And if God had to apologize to Sodom and if God had to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and ha what, what must he think of the United States of America? What must he think of our sexually depraved culture? These are not easy words for it. I mean, if he pardons America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. So here are three test Old Testament examples of judgment. And then Jude also moves forward with three sins committed by the fake leaders. If you see me doing any of these things, <laughs> if you see a teacher, any church leader, doing any of these three things, you got to call us on it. The first one is found here in verse 8. In this very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people do three things. Number one, they pollute their own bodies. Pollute, David, what is it? not talking about eating White Castle now, Okay. They, it's saying they compromise themselves sexually. Usually every time 
you get into a false teacher in the church, there's sexual immorality and money involved. Have you noticed that? That was true in their day. Number two, they not only pollute their own bodies, they reject authority. These false teachers reject any authority, but for sure the authority of God. Here's a general rule if you want to lead here in this room, if you want to lead here in our church. If you can't follow, you can't lead. If you can't submit, you can't serve for long as a leader. Every leader is accountable to another authority, a higher authority, it's God's. And notice the third thing that these false teachers do, the third sin, they, they pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, they heap abuse on celestial beings. Now, what in the world does that mean? The word heap abuse basically means to revile or to belittle. And Jude uses this very obscure illustration uh, from the book of First Enoch. Enoch. Uh, I have got a ton of questions about this. First Enoch would have been known, well known by Jude's hearers. It was an extra biblical record of the history and the tradition of the Jewish people. And it says here in verse 9, it gives an example from an archangel, Michael. And check out what happens. He says, Jude says, even the archangel Michael, and this is a story that is not in the Old Testament. It's from Enoch, an extra biblical writing. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, evidently, when Moses died, it says that God buried him. Evidently, the devil wanted to steal, preserve, and venerate the body of Moses so that the Israelites would worship Moses even through that venerated body and not God. Weird stuff. But even the angel in fighting for Moses' body did not dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander or belittle whatever they do not understand. These false teachers, they slander the very things they do, not, do understand by instinct as irrational animals, and they will be destroyed. It will destroy them. Man, this is some heavy stuff. In contrast to these three sins, true authentic leaders have integrity. They have purity. They have humility because they submit to the word of God and the son of God. And then verse 11. Oh, here's a word. Here's a message for some of you here watching tonight, watching on Sunday. We come to verse 11 and we have what I call the big woe. W-O-E. E. Woe to them. Now, when God or when Jesus, Jesus used this word a lot himself when he was on planet earth, talking to the religious scribes and Pharisees, when God or Jesus says, woe be unto you, you are in a heap of trouble. What does he mean? Watch out. Be careful. Where you're going, woe, like a horse. Stop. This is not going to turn out well for you. That's what he's saying. Now, this is some heavy stuff, is it not? This is not like church attractional growth stuff. This is like, David, this is a serious book for serious-minded people. Yeah. And then Jude begins to describe, beginning in verse 11, the rest of it, three different types of fake leaders. Remember, he's all into the triads now. Three different types of fake leaders, and he names the names of fake leaders in the past. They have taken the way of Cain. Who knows who Cain was, right? It was Cain and Abel. 
The very first guy ever put, ever born on planet Earth from Adam and Eve, he became the first murderer because of envy. He was religious, but he was disobedient, just like the fake teachers. So he says, don't, they're gonna, they're like Cain. Number two, these folks are rushing for profit into Balaam's error. Anybody know who Balaam was? Balaam was this greedy prophet. Remember I told you, there's money always associated with false prophets. I can't wait for somebody to email me when I talk about giving, say, David, you're that greedy preacher. I know you're, you talked about greed. No, I'm not talking about encouraging you to give because I want something for you, not from you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about only leading for money. Only leading for money. And this guy named Balaam was this greedy prophet and he was paid to pronounce a curse on another king and God didn't want him to do that, but he was going to go do it. And the Bible says a donkey, the donkey he was riding on just sat down and wouldn't move. And he berated the donkey, Balaam's donkey. And suddenly God opened the mouth of the donkey. Some of you are looking at me like, no, uh-uh. It's in there. I'm telling you, go read it. God opened the mouth of the donkey. The donkey spoke. I'm not talking about the little donkey that spoke that you read at Christmas time. I'm talking about this is straight up donkey. A stubborn donkey spoke to a stubborn prophet and changed his life, changed the course. He was getting ready to die. God had an angel ready to slay Balaam, but God spared his life because of the donkey. So he says these false teachers, they're like Cain. They are like Balaam. And number three, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Who is Korah? Korah was a relative of Moses who was insolent, rebellious, and rose up against Moses, leading others to rebel. And you know what God did to Korah? It says, I know y'all think I'm making this up. It says the ground opened up and swallowed him and all of their family and goods whole, and they went down into the earth. Some of y'all, I know you don't, but you gotta look this up. I'm telling you, it's in there. So be very careful when you speak against the Lord's anointed. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm not comparing me to Moses, but be very careful when you criticize a leader who's a true leader, because God does not like it when you grumble or complain against somebody who's trying to lead you out of idolatry and out of a land of slavery. So what is Jude saying here? Hey, listen, he's guys, he says, we got to learn from this. You got to learn from this. You in the church then and you in the church, us in the church now, we've got to learn from this. It's the quote from George Santayana that said, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Have you heard that before? Those that do not learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. He's trying to say that, look, all these past writings, in fact, that's what the Old Testament is if you're trying to understand this book. It's teaching to, to remind us so we can learn how, what to do and what not to do. He goes on to say this in verse number 12. These people, these false leaders, teachers, are blemishes at your love feast. In other words, they're spots. They're cancers on the body of Christ eating with you without the slightest qualm. In other words, they don't feel guilty. Shepherds who feed only themselves. And notice he gives now some metaphors from nature to help us recognize a false leader or prophet. Last thing that he does, he lists like these pictures of what a wolf in sheep's clothing does. 
He says, number one, he said, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. I'll read the verse and then I'll unpack that. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. They are wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. So he gives four metaphors from nature to describe what a false prophet looks like. The first one he says is they're clouds without rain. If ever anybody could understand clouds without rain, it's Cincinnati. Have you ever seen more cloudy days in an area of the country than Cincinnati, Ohio? And often it's cloudy and it doesn't rain. What does that mean with false teaching? It means they don't deliver what they promise. The clouds look like it's going to storm, but they don't rain. Number two, he says these false teachers are autumn trees. They're trees, just like the trees look so beautiful now if we were to travel. But these guys don't have the beautiful leaves or fruit. They're twice dead. They ha- they're dead in the root and they're dead in the fruit. And then he says these false teachers are also wild waves of the sea. They're always churning up problems, division, inst- instigating things. Now, I know that some of y'all think and say, David, man, go get these leaders, these clouds without rain, these tree leaders, these autumn leaders, these rootless leaders, these wild wave leaders. Just a thought, before we start railing on those people, could I just say that you and I, if you're honest, are sometimes don't deliver what we promise? Sometimes we're not rooted in the faith and we're dead with our fruit or we have no fruit. Sometimes we are these wild waves churning up problems, talking about people, instigating. We can be these EGR people too, right? EGR, extra grace required. Do you know any extra grace required people in your life? Do you know any extra grace required people that live in your house? As I often say, if you don't know any EGR people, guess what? You are the EGR person. So let's be very careful that we don't say, oh, that must be somebody else. He's kind of talking about us. And then notice he gives a fourth example. They're wandering stars. What does that mean? They're like shooting stars that appear for a short time in a brilliant way, but then they fade and they vanish away very quickly. Now, I know what some of y'all think and say, David, this is a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, it is. How does this apply to me today? What would a false teacher who's doing all these things look like today? Well, Elisa Childers is one of our excellent worship leaders here. Several years ago, she and her husband started attending a local evangelical non-denominational Christian church down in Tennessee. They loved it. Here were her words. We found loving and authentic people there and an intelligent outside-the-box pastor who led our flock with thought-provoking and insightful sermons. But sadly, the church started going off the rails theologically, and after about a year and a half, we made the difficult decision to leave. Today, that church is self-titled a progressive Christian community, and I've heard her speak of all the things that they are doing there. It's bizarre. Elisa blogged about her experience. You can read the full version on elisachilders.com. However, she said there are signs 
and ideas that seem to be consistent in progressive circles. And she lists the five danger signs to watch for in your church. And they sound eerily familiar to this list that we just heard from Jude. What Jude is prophesying and warning about is happening today in churches all over this country. Let me give you a couple of them. There's a lowered view of the Bible. Feelings are emphasized over facts. Essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Historic terms like being inspired, the Bible being inspired, are redefined. And the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin to redemption through social gospel. Here's how she ended her blog. Identifying the signs is not always obvious. Sometimes they are subtle and mixed with a lot of truth. Progressive Christianity today can be pervasive and enticing, but carried to its logical end, it is an assault on the foundational framework of Christianity, leaving it disarmed of its saving power. So if you spot, she finishes, any of these five danger signs in your place of worship, it might be time to pray about finding fellowship in a more biblically faithful church community. So friend, what we're talking about is as applicable and real today as it was in Jude, and you ought to thank God every day that you, God has put quality elders, quality staff, quality teachers, quality ministry leaders in our church community who are not perfect, but they want to square this church and our lives with this book right here. Because a lot of people are throwing this aside and just giving sermonettes for Christianettes that sound and feel more like TED Talks than the actual Word of God that convicts of sin and tells that there's a real heaven and there's a real hell and there are real people going there every day and the stakes are sky high for the church of Jesus Christ to get it right in these last days. And so let me finish the reading from Jude and he references first Enoch again and he finishes with this crescendo of what I call sanctified ranting. He's just like done. Notice what he says as he finishes. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these false teachers. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. What's the dominant theme word, ungodly? These people are grumblers, they're fault finders, they follow their own evil desires, they boast about themselves, they flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, that's the phrase he uses in this book. Dear friends, remember what the the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Not the apostates, but the apostles. They said to you, in the last times, when are the last times? We are living in the last times. In the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. I mean, there's scoffers everywhere. Did Jesus really mean that? Is there really a resurrection of the dead? Is the Bible really? Oh, there's all kinds of scoffers. These are people who divide you who follow mere natural instincts. Besides ungodly desires, they follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. 
So let me close with just an illustration or a statement followed by an illustration because I've been a little convicted about this book because people have said, well, David, why, why in the world would you pick such a hard book to go through? Now I know why no preacher preaches from Jude. This is tough stuff. This is not for the faint of heart. This is not for weak-minded, puny, give me what I want to hear church. And that's not this church here, I can tell you. We are at our best when we are challenged to step it up for God as members, as Christians, as leaders. And what Jude teaches me is that God is straight up serious about using leaders, using their position, their gifts, their influence to shepherd and lead the church authentically in Jesus' name. Now, I will warn you, I'm getting older, and as I get older, maybe I get a little more bolder. But the reality and concept of judgment these days is not politically or theologically correct or tolerated. In an age of tolerance and acceptance where everybody's right and nobody's wrong, what I've said tonight about eternal punishment is strong. It's considered unloving, it's considered passe. But dear friends, I'll, I'll use Jude's little word, dear friends, there is a judgment day coming for everyone in this room. Everyone who's watching this right now, you just need to know there's a judgment day for everyone. Someday you will die and you will meet Jesus or someday he will come back and he will meet you. I did a funeral today. It's a constant reminder that everybody is going to die. The rates have not changed. One out of one people die. And when we die, there's going to be a judgment for all of us inside the church, but definitely those outside the church. And the only way you're going to make it through eternity is to have Jesus be the advocate, the defense attorney for you at the great judgment seat of God. That's why living in relationship with him is important. Not this religion where you learn about God, but relationship where you believe in him and you confess your sins and you repent of those sins and you're baptized and you go all in like dozens have done this year in our church and you commit to live a life of faithfulness to him. And God does not Hold it lightly when leaders don't lead. Let me close with a story that's a tragic one. By now, those of us, depending on your age, have likely heard the sordid and heartbreaking story of a guy named Jim Jones. There's been some documentaries on him, stories on him, Reverend Jones, and I use that term lightly with Reverend. He was a pastor and a cult leader who directed the mass suicide of his followers, which were called the People's Temple back in the late 70s. He brought them to a jungle commune in Jonestown, Guyana. By the way, Jim Jones was an ordained, say that's a wacky guy. Jim Jones was ordained by the Disciples of Christ Christian Church tribe. He, he, he was in our tribe, the liberal part of our tribe. So don't say that it can't happen in anybody's church. After media reports surfaced of human rights abuses in his compound, the U.S. flew a representative, Leo Ryan, with a delegation of people to the commune to investigate, but Leo Ryan and the others on that trip were murdered by gunfire 
by Jim Jones' order of his people while boarding the return flight home. Jones then knew he was in trouble. He ordered and coerced a mass suicide of 918 commune members. 304 of them were children. All of them taught to drink cyanide-poisoned Kool-Aid. It always makes me have second thoughts about using grape-flavored, you know, communion juice. This is straight-up serious stuff. He even took the Lord's Supper and twisted it around. Jones, being the heretic and the coward that he was, he soon took his own life with a gun in a prominent deck chair that he liked to sit on to preside over his flock. Some victims who survived the Jonestown massacre were angry, rightfully so, because Jones never had to pay for the consequences of the crimes he committed. It didn't seem fair that Jones suffered little, little punishment for the atrocious behavior. And this, my friend, this story, this illustration, is one of the reasons why I believe in the biblical doctrine of judgment and hell. If there is no hell, if there is no justice, then this life is totally unfair. Because a lot of people won't get their payday here. They get it later. And can I just say this? God does not suffer fools gladly. He is a God of love. And oh man, no matter what you've done, come home. He'll take you back. But he is a God of justice. And someday he will hold every single person who is disobedient accountable for their sin. And this is what Jude is talking about. Sin, from God's perspective, sin must be paid for. If not paid for by Jesus' atoning death on the cross, then that debt will be paid for by the individual offender. And what's ironic about the death of Jim Jones is one of the last pictures that was taken in the compound was a sign that was hung over the deck chair that Jim Jones sat in and took his life on the day he died. Let me show it to you. If you understand or remember the quote, it's the quote that I gave earlier from George Santayana. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. That's what the sign says. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So ironic that the very thing Jude was trying to remind people, remember this so we don't repeat it, is the very sign that he hung while he was espousing his false doctrine and taking the life of hundreds of people. Would to God that I will never, ever contradict this Bible. But if I do, somebody ought to kick me out of this church. Somebody ought to grab me. Somebody ought to grab you. Say, David, we got to preach the truth here. So may we learn from Jim, but may we also learn from Jude today. Because, friend, the stakes are sky high to get this right. Well, I gave you the toughest sermon of all four. I gave it to me. Next week, Tyler McKenzie's going to be back to finish up. And I gave him a piece of cake, softball message from Jude. Tell him, I hear you got the easy one. I gave you the toughest message I've probably preached here in a year. But you can't understand heaven until you understand hell, friend. All sunshine makes a desert. You got to have some storms before you appreciate the sun. 
Until you understand how God feels about sin, you cannot celebrate his grace. So I'm saying tonight all these words not to make you feel guilty, but to warn you that these are the last days and we are living in them. And we want our church to be led by high capacity, authentic, truthful teachers and leaders. And I'm pretty sure that's why you like this church so much. Hey guys, so glad that you joined us online today. Keep in touch in the future. Again, you can text the word new to the number on the screen or pray to the number on the screen. And we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.